Welcome to the first episode of the Talking Balls podcast. I'm your host, Connor. And without any further ado, let's get right into it. Let me start by saying, you know, I'll give you guys a little bit of background about myself, who I am, why I started this podcast in the first place, um, and what we're going to be covering on this podcast. So, like I said, my name is Connor. Um, I live down here in South Florida, and it is the best state in the United States. Don't at me. Uh, we will not tolerate any Florida slander on this podcast, so keep those thoughts to yourself. Thank you. Uh, I was born in New York, and I moved down here in probably seventh grade, and I've been here ever since. Uh, I still live in Broward County, which is where I moved when I came down here, and currently I am in pharmacy school at Nova Southeastern University. Um, I'm in my last year doing some clinical rotations right now. And I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm set to graduate in May. Then I get to start working as a licensed pharmacist, assuming I pass all my tests uh, later that year in probably August or September. So talking balls, what are we going to cover on talking balls? Um, we're going to cover everything and anything that has to do with sports. Um, I follow the four major sports probably more closely than anything else. So that's MLB and NBA. NFL and NHL, um, but we're also going to talk about other sports like college football, college basketball. We'll do a little bit of soccer, a little bit of UFC, a um, little bit of golf. There's this outrageous baseball organization across the world called the Korean Baseball Organization, and that league gets extremely lit around 4 or 5 a.m. every single night. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and at Talking Balls, we are a podcast of equality. And even though if that sounds sarcastic to you, it's not. So I don't know shit about the WNBA, but we're going to sprinkle in some WNBA coverage in here because, you know, even playing fields for all. Um, on top of that, we are going to be talking about some gambling. I've been known to place a responsible sports wager from time to time. A lot of my friends do the same. Um, so we're going to give you some lines here and there. There aren't going to be any today, but we will give you some winners. We're going to give you some locks. Okay. We're probably going to do some fantasy sports, fantasy football season coming up in the next few weeks. And I am a fantasy football addict. I also do fantasy basketball. So when that comes, we'll start talking about that. And I am in the middle of a fantasy baseball season, but unfortunately, unfortunately, my team is bottom of the barrel. Um, we're complete and total dog shit. And we've already packed it in this season. We got like three weeks left, but packed it in for the last three. I mean, it's over. We're looking forward to next year. So we're not going to say anything about that team. And moving on. Why am I making this podcast, right? Um, so I've been playing sports basically my entire life. Uh, I grew up playing baseball and basketball, did a little bit of football. That shit kind of hurt. So I stopped playing football, basketball and baseball were the main organized sports that I played growing up. And I usually have an opinion on some of the hot topics that are coming out in the sports world. And I try to have a well thought out opinion. Um, my opinion will be based on facts. Most of the time, I will promise you guys to do my best to not talk out of my ass. A lot of people tend to do that on national networks, not to name anyone, but we got these people out here that they dish out these airhead takes, man. And I watch it on TV and I just start itching. I just start cringing because I'm like, A, I don't know if this person really knows what they're talking about. And B, 
are they just screaming at each other on TV to get views? I really don't know. And a lot of times I feel like my opinion is more well thought out and has more factual backing than their takes. So they get paid to do it. I'm going to do it because I enjoy it. And I'm going to give you guys my perspective on things. Now, you may not agree with it. You may think I'm an idiot and I might be an idiot on some takes, but I needed a place where I can express how I'm feeling about some of these things. Um, and I feel like this is, this is a good spot for me to do that. Let's get right into it because it's currently 1016 on a Sunday night. This room is cold as hell. My fingernails are turning purple. So the inaugural take, what are we going to be talking about? Um, the first thing is Fernando Tatis Jr. suspension. Um, the baseball world was kind of rocked last week on August 13th. Uh, they came out, Fernando Tatis got suspended for failing a drug test. Um, he got suspended 80 games and he did start serving that already. And he's going to miss the rest of the year and the playoffs. And I believe I saw he's going to be missing at least 30 games of the next season as well. So I did a lot of digging on this because it's 2022 and players know that they're going to be tested randomly. Players know that a drug test could come. Players are very aware, or at least I think so. They're very aware of the banned substance list. Okay. So for a player like Tatis, which let's back up for those of you who don't know, Fernando Tatis is basically on the same level as Mike Trout. So an average baseball fan may not know Fernando Tatis, but they might know Mike Trout. Okay. Mike Trout is like the face of baseball right now. Tatis is on that level. So for him to get suspended for something like this, um, it's a bad look for baseball. It's a bad look for him. It's a bad look for the team that he plays for the San Diego Padres. It's really, it's not like your average Joe player getting suspended. This was not every day that you see a player of this caliber getting suspended for PED use. So since 2005, the MLB implemented a program called the Joint Drug Prevention and Treatment Program. Since that time, there's been 57 players to be popped and suspended for PED use and receive a suspension for at least 50 games. Tatis is number 58. Let's narrow that sample size down a little bit longer, Let's or a little bit smaller, rather. So since 2017, there have only been 20 sanctions, which you might think, okay, five years, that's about four sanctions a year. 20 sanctions, 16 of them have been Dominican Republic-born players. So I know math is hard, and you guys don't want to be doing math while you're listening to a podcast. Have no fear. I did the math for you. 16 out of 20 sanctions gives you an 80% rate of Dominican players. So me and my analytical brain sees that and I'm thinking what's going on in the Dominican Republic and why are their players being, being popped for steroids more than any other country, right? The, the Dominican Republic players, they don't make up the majority of the league, but they do have a solid percentage of players in the league. So compared to countries like Puerto Rico, Venezuela, uh, you have Cuba even, the U.S., Japan, you have all these other countries that contribute a handful of players as well. 80% of the sanctions since 2017 are coming from one country. So why is that? What are they doing differently in DR than these other countries? And why are their players coming from there getting popped at a much, much higher rate than any other country around the world? Um, and I read an article written by this guy, Mark Ziegler, or Ziegler. Um, he wrote an article for the San Diego Union Tribune. And he went in depth really about what goes on in the Dominican Republic um, and kind of 
pushed us, pushed the reader to think about why this is happening to the Dominican players, right? Another stat that I found was there have been six players that have been suspended as second time offenders for a hundred plus games or more. Five of those six players are also from the Dominican Republic. And they really do, it seems like they have a systemic problem going on there when it comes to this. So if we look at, we look at the Dominican Republic, um, we know it's a poverty stricken country. We know that a lot of people are just looking for a way to make it out, um, provide for their family. A lot of these, a lot of these guys growing up there, a lot of these boys, baseball is that outlet for them to do that, right? Um, they signed for a few hundred thousand dollars and that changes them and their families' lives forever. So they are kind of in a position where their back is up against the wall. And a lot of times they will do whatever is necessary in order to land that contract and, and come over and play in the MLB. But Dominican, the, the Republic has such a thriving doping culture, right? With all of these PED uses. Why is that? What is going on there that, that produces that? So first, you need poverty in a country, right? To have a doping culture. You need um, basically a vulnerable, a vulnerable population to exploit. You need also a sport that offers a financial lifeline for its citizens. So like I said, a lot of these players, they are poverty stricken. Their families are poverty stricken. They don't have money. Um, they don't have basic necessities to live. Baseball offers them that outlet to provide for their family and get them out of whatever rough situation that they're in. So that's the second thing that you need. And the last thing, which is the most important, is you need accessible and cheap drugs for these players to have. Um, you can pretty much go anywhere, I'm sure, over there and any gas station, any little grocery store, corner store, whatever it is, and you can get prescription medications in the U.S. over the counter over there. No prescription needed. You don't have to say the doctor told me to come get this. You just go pick it up. All right. Obviously, these players don't know what they're taking. And the players take these medications and someone tells them, oh, it's okay, it's safe, it's safe. And they just take it and they wind up getting pops for it, right? So the DR has all of these things covered. They, they, have, a, they have a very high poverty rate. Um, there are some agencies estimate that 24% of its 10.7 million people are living below the poverty line. Other agencies that I read, they're estimating it to be closer to 30. Uh, the World Food Program has it closer to 40.4%. So half of your country almost is living in poverty. And so they check that box. They have baseball to offer that financial lifeline. And they have these drugs cheap and available for these players whenever they need them. The average annual household income is $10,000. So think about that. I'm 14, 15 years old, and I have a chance at baseball. My parents make $10,000 a year. Uh, but if I can make it landing one of these contracts, I can get maybe 500000 600000 If I make it big, maybe I can get a million dollars, right? So that really can change the lives of these players and their families. Now, here's where it gets a little tricky. So you have all these players in the DR, all these young kids, right? And they're talented, but they need exposure. The scouts need to know where these kids are. They need to know where they're playing um, and they need to be able to come see them. So something that goes on in the DR, they have these guys, they're called Buscones, sort of act as a broker between the MLB scouts and the players, okay? So... They basically peddle these kids to the scouts. They're like, oh, I have this player. I have this. I have this guy. He's a pitcher. He's an outfielder, catcher, whatever it is. Come take a look at him, right? Oftentimes, we'll put these kids in position to take PEDs, either without them knowing or they do know. And the Buscones give them these drugs because basically everybody in the country is, is using some sort of PED. And if it's not everyone, 
it feels like everyone is, right? So if you're a kid trying to make it out of the country playing baseball, all of your peers, all of your competition are using these PEDs, you're at an unfair advantage if you if you don't use these drugs, right? Because everyone's getting that extra boost. You're not getting that extra boost. You're gonna sa- you're gonna suffer because of that. It's gonna be an uneven playing field. And more likely than not, you're not gonna get that contract that you want. So there's outside pressure for these kids also to try and keep up with what everyone else is doing. And all of these factors together kind of form a perfect storm where I believe the players are set up for failure because they're not educated about any medications they're taking. Uh, they, the people tell them the drugs are safe, take it for this, take it for that. And they have no idea. And honestly, the people, they don't, they're looking at for themselves, right? Everybody has, has an agenda for themselves. Everybody's ultimately looking out for themselves. They don't really care what happens to these kids, right? They're just trying to make their money. So it's really, it's really hard, especially once you start steroids to get off of it. Um, and this article had a really nice analogy. So imagine your house, right? It has a fireplace and testosterone acts as the fire in the fireplace, right? So our body will make the testosterone and it'll light our fireplace to keep going. But if our fireplace is constantly burning, AKA the steroids, the house thermostat is eventually going to break because the central heating it's not needed because you have this constant testosterone. So the regulation is going to be shut off and then your endocrine system is going to be thrown in a loop. And once you start the steroids, it is extremely hard to balance out your endocrine system um, back to where it was at baseline before you started the steroids. So Tatis, what was the steroid that he was popped for? Um, We're going to talk a little bit about it. What type of uh, formulation he used. He did take a cream. Um, and we're going to talk about a little bit, we're going to get a little nerdy, not too bad. Um, but I am in pharmacy school. So I do understand this stuff a little bit. So I'll try and break it down for you guys from my perspective. This way, maybe you can understand it a little bit more from the science side and understand, um, how I, I believe like, there's no way that Tatis didn't know what he was doing and he didn't know the risks that he was, he was going to be up against when he used this medication. Tatis was popped for the anabolic steroid called Clostebol. Um, it was in a cream that he, quote unquote, inadvertently used to treat ringworm. Uh, the drug that he used was a combination of an antibiotic plus the Clostebol called Trobofol. And Tatis was quoted as saying, he said, I should have used the resources available to me in order to ensure that no banned substances were in what I took. I failed to do so. No shit, sir. Tatis Sr. said he got a fungus due to a haircut. You're making millions of dollars and your barber has dirty ass clippers to where you're getting a fungal infection from a haircut. So that's red flag number one, whatever. Maybe he got it from a haircut. Maybe he didn't, whatever. Really, the way he got the ringworm is irrelevant. It don't matter. Father continued to say his mistake was not reading what it contains, which apparently makes him guilty of something totally unknown. He says, this is something for the skin. That's something that's not performance enhancing and has no testosterone. It has nothing to help you improve in the game. Now we're going to break this down because that second part of what he said, that it's not something that's performance enhancing enhancing and has no testosterone. uh, I believe it to be factually incorrect. So he's speaking with a lack of knowledge um, and we'll get into why I think that's wrong. And also the first part where he says, uh, it apparently makes Tatis Jr. guilty of something totally unknown. I mean, I get it. The situation could have been handled a little bit better. 
you don't want the bad publicity for your son. Maybe it was a mistake. I don't believe it was. But the, the fact that he's trying to cover for his son and not allowing his son to take responsibility for his actions actually makes me sick to my stomach. And I think it's an accurate reflection of the kind of world that we're living in where people don't take responsibility for their actions. And I think we're suffering the consequences, not just in the US, but around the world as a whole because of that. But that's a different topic for a different podcast. We're not going to talk about that shit right now. Let's talk about the cluster ball, right? When I heard about what drug he took, I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know what cluster ball was. I had a feeling it was a steroid just by the way it sounded, but I didn't know what it was. So what did I do? I Googled it. The first picture that comes up is the box of Trobofol. What is Trobofol? What does it say on the box? The first thing I see, it says Clostebol and Neomycin. Neomycin is the antibiotic. Clostebol ended up being the steroid. So when I, when I Googled Clostebol by itself, the first words that I read on that search were verbatim, Clostebol is an anabolic steroid. Now, these two different searches took me about, I don't know, three seconds in total. Okay. And I got the information I needed. If I were to be in his position in Tatis's position, I would have known this cream has a steroid in it. Maybe I shouldn't take this. I should probably run it by someone in my camp first and make sure that I'm really allowed to use it. He didn't do this at all. So I lost all sympathy for him. These guys, you know, especially him signed this big contract, 14 years, $340 million. You're telling me you don't have people who work around you, work for you, just to solely ensure that nothing like this happens. So I, I, I think Tatis messed up where, yeah, he's right. He didn't use his resources. And he's trying to say like, oh, it was a lapse in judgment. I think it was a conscious choice to take this medication, knowing the risks that he had. Um, and he, he got boned for it. And honestly, I don't have sympathy for that because there are so many ways not to get around you know, if you were to use it, get around passing a drug test. But these guys, they have so many, so many resources available to them. They can go to anybody in the organization and say, hey, uh, I have ringworm. I need to get this thing taken care of. I have this medication here. Can I use it? If he did that, they would have checked that banned substance list. They would have checked how the drug worked. They would have checked how long it would have stayed in his system for. They would have done all of the things that I did in order to ensure, okay, yes, Fernando, you can use that drug. No, Fernando, you can't use that drug. So Fernando dropped the ball by not using his resources. And the resources honestly could have done a pretty, they could have done a better job keeping tabs on him. But at the end of the day, he's a grown ass man. He was home in the Dominican Republic. And during the off season, you can't keep tabs on everybody forever. Um, at some point, there needs to be a level of accountability and responsibility for your own actions, what you're doing, even in the, in the off season. So cross the ball and much like many other anabolic steroids, when they do a urine test for it, um, they're, they're looking for this enzyme, okay? And here we go, we're gonna get a little nerdy here. They're looking for this enzyme that's called 5-alpha reductase, right? 5-alpha reductase is responsible for turning testosterone into a more potent form of testosterone called dihydrotestosterone or DHT. So 5-alpha reductase will turn testosterone into the DHT and what they're testing for is they test for the presence of this enzyme, right? Usually an anabolic steroid will cause this enzyme to have activity. If they find the enzyme in the system, they can say, okay, you've been taking anabolic steroids and then they'll find out which one it was. Um, it, they were thinking that the presence of this enzyme would be able to tell if the cluster ball was taken orally or transdermally. 
And that's important because Tatis is saying, yeah, I use this cream. I wouldn't take anything orally intentionally as a PED. I was using it for something else. So if we were able to distinguish whether he took it orally or transdermally, maybe he had a better case um, when, he, when he says he used it for ringworm and not a PED. However, Clostebol is different. Um, it has a chlorine atom on one of the carbons there. I believe it's the fourth carbon. And so what this chlorine does is it, it prevents the Clostebol from undergoing the metabolism by the 5-alpha reductase. So that enzyme is not going to appear on any kind of urinalysis. That enzyme is not going to come up on a test. So oral administration of Clostebol, you have a very high concentration in your body in a shorter amount of time than the transdermal administration. Okay. Um, I wasn't able to get the exact numbers, but the general principle is for this drug, it's in and out of your body a lot quicker if you take it by mouth than if you'd use a topical cream like Fernando did. I found that the topical cream has a metabolite that can last in your system for up to 146 hours. Uh, 146 hours, let's see, divided by 24 hours in a day, that's six days. Okay, that's a whole week. Um, that's a long time. So if anybody did any kind of research on this medication, they would have told this guy, no, you can't use it. You know, it's in your system way too long. It's on the banned substance list. It's not worth the risk. Okay. But no one did that. And it fucking boggles my mind that no one did this for this kid. And the fact that he didn't even think of this. I... Okay. Moving on. He signed a contract 14 years, $341 million. When you sign a contract like that, and you're basically the 1B face of baseball, not every decision that you make anymore is as personal as you think it is. And I'm sorry, I don't make the rules. This is just how it goes, okay? You have your employer paying you this much money. You need to run by everything that you're putting in your body by them, especially if it, if it, has, it comes with a risk of you being suspended and not being able to come into your job. Fernando Tatis, to me, has a lot of maturing to do. Um, he needs to look inside at himself and understand, okay, this situation totally could have been avoided if I was just smarter. If I used my brain, if I slowed down, if I talked to people who could help me, this could have been avoided. And I don't have any sympathy for this guy. And I don't have any sympathy for anybody who's getting popped for steroids. The list is there. You guys know you're going to be getting, getting tested. It's just not worth it, right? And the, and the advancement of, of medicine and, and performance, right, supplements, it's so far past steroids. You don't need steroids anymore to have to be in tip-top shape. It's just you don't need it. So Tatis, I hope, you know, you can take this suspension and learn from it. He's still only 23 years old. He's not even in his prime yet. Um, he is going to be a force and a menace to be reckoned with in the league for, for years to come. Um, but he does have some maturing to do. The last note I want to leave about Tatis, he hasn't played a game all season. And this is another note on his immaturity. Um, he had a wrist injury in the offseason. And this is kind of speculation. It hasn't been proven to be true. Uh, and that's basically all we're going to do on this podcast is speculate because that's what people do. It was speculated that the, the cause of his wrist injury was from a motorcycle accident that happened in the Dominican Republic. And, you know, people have motorcycles. I get it. 
you have hobbies, you want to do things in your free time, especially in the off season. But again, when you're being paid that kind of money, when your job is as physically demanding as Tatis is, you can't be driving motorcycles like a reckless maniac getting into crashes where it's impacting your ability to come play baseball. And, and you might say, yeah, it's just baseball. It's just this, but that's your job. If I was doing something intentionally that could cause me to not come in and do my job, I would get fired. Okay. We may not be comparing the, the same things here, but the principle is the same. He he's acting very selfishly, very immature. Um, and I hope he can take this 80 game suspension to kind of grow up. That's all I have on Tatis. You guys are welcome to let me know what you think. Um, I, ha I, I don't know what else to say. He's acting like an idiot. He looks like an idiot. I don't think he's as dumb as he looks. Um, and I really hope he can just learn from this experience. We can shift gears just a little bit. We're going to stay in the MLB. Um, and we're going to talk about my favorite baseball team, which I did not mention to you guys, but it is the New York Yankees. Sorry. I don't even care what y'all have to say. Uh, they're the greatest franchise ever. And I am not one of these obnoxious Yankee fans that's going to rub the 27 championships in your face, blah, 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 this and that. I'm going to be a logical, level-headed Yankees fan. Um, but let's talk about them for a second because I got some things that I need to get off my chest about this fucking team, okay? They come out the gates. I think they were something stupid. I'm talking like 60 wins, 15 or 20 losses, just came out of the gates, clear-cut best team in baseball, and they were looking like they were going to be the team to beat and win the whole thing. Now, flash forward to, I would say, maybe mid-July, right? After the All-Star break, we kind of get into the real dog days of the season, right? The last few weeks of uh, July and August, guys are tired, guys are hurt. We're in the middle of the season. It's kind of like a lull, okay? In the middle of July, I noticed they started losing games. They were kind of splitting series. They were dropping a couple of series where they, they shouldn't be dropping against subpar teams. And... I was attributing it to the dog days. I was like, you know what? This team came out on fire. Like there's really nothing I can say to them. Their pitching was great. Hitting was great. They were getting on base. They're hitting with runners in scoring position. They were manufacturing runs as well as hitting absolute nukes. Okay. This team was just firing on all cyl cylinders. You couldn't, you couldn't tell them shit. Now we, we fast forward to August, right? So I did some research on the numbers here. The past 15 days, in August so far, the New York Yankees are batting a team batting average of 202. Trash. Trevino is the best hitter. He's got like 45 plate appearances. He's hitting 289. Shout out Trevino, holding it down because we suck. 12 home runs in the last 15 days, uh, which, you know, if you're the Kansas City Royals or something, that might be acceptable. But when your nickname is the Bronx Bombers and you got all these guys like Aaron Judge, Rizzo, Donaldson okay you got these guys who are supposed to be hitting bombs you have 12 home runs in 15 games that's garbage okay we're gonna need a little more production than that their record is bottom of the barrel dog shit five and 14 in August and I'm pretty sure even with their win today against I believe it was the Blue Jays they're still five and 14 in August 
pretty sure that's still worse than the entire league. Worse than, I don't the Royals again. We're worse than Oakland, okay? Worse than the Angels, the Rangers, everybody. We are just the absolute worst right now. And it is kind of concerning um, for me to say that it's just the dog days at this point in time would be inaccurate. Um, the pitching has been nauseating to watch Garrett Cole. I got no idea what's going on with that guy. Uh, we have a 4.47 ERA the last 15 games or 15 days, rather starting pitching one in six record. Okay. Montas, who we got from Oakland, he struggled pretty decently with the Yankees and I was excited when we got him. I'm hoping he still turns it around. He's had fit 14 innings pitched with the Yankees. He's given up 14 earned runs. So that's hot garbage. We need a little bit more out of him. Um, bottom line, we're trash program right now. They're dog shit. I don't know if it's dog days. I don't know if we actually suck. I know we, we got some arms. We got Stanton on the IL. We got people on, on the injured list that need to come back. But we have lost the mojo. No team is scared of us anymore. Unfortunately, that, that franchise out West, the blue one, that I won't even say their name because I hate them so much, almost as much as the Boston Red Sox. They, of course, have taken off. They already clipped 80 wins, and they passed their clear-cut the best team in baseball right now, which is okay. Um, but no one's scared of the Yankees anymore. Astros aren't scared, not that they were before. Dodgers aren't scared. Uh, you have Toronto, who's not scared. The Yankees need to figure it out, and they need to figure it out quick. Um, September baseball is coming. And if they keep playing like this in September, they're going to be out in the first round. I got no doubt in my mind. Um, they could have the best record. They, they could have the best start, whatever it is. They make the playoffs. Anybody who watches the playoffs of any sport can tell you that a lot of times the person who wins the whole damn thing it's not necessarily the team that has the best roster or the best players, but it's the team that's playing the best baseball or the best to their ability at that time. Uh, you see it in football where a wild card team will reach the Super Bowl. You see it in baseball, a wild card team will reach the World Series. So am I concerned that the Yankees are dog shit right now here in August? Yes, I am concerned. Am I hoping they're going to turn it around and when they get a whiff of playoff baseball in September? It's going to be like smelling salts and you're going to snap back into it and start kicking ass and taking names again. Yeah, I, I do think that's going to happen. But we got about a month and a half to turn this ship around, and hopefully they can start playing some winning baseball and at least get into the playoffs with some momentum. Because right now, if the playoffs started tomorrow, we'd probably get bounced by Baltimore because that team is playing with their balls out, so they don't care. And the Yankees are playing with their tails tucked between their legs, and that's not a team you want to see in the playoffs. So we got to get our attitude right. We got to get our minds right, figure out what's going wrong, understand that we still are that same team, you know, that had that success in the beginning of the season. And they'll move on from this. They'll get it. But as for right now, it's extremely frustrating as a Yankees fan. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about it. All right. What do we have? All right. Last thing. So we're going to shift gears to UFC now. Full disclosure. I'm not a huge UFC fan. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about the sports, the ins and outs, like I might do with baseball or another sport like that. But I have been watching it pretty much since COVID started. 
Um, that was the only sport that was on during the pandemic. And I grew an interest in watching that. And I would highly recommend everybody watch that sport because it is lit. Okay. It makes you feel alive like nothing else. Let me tell you something. One of the main reasons I like the UFC is because it literally is never over until it's over. And that might sound cliche, but there have been a handful of fights that I have watched in the past two years where you can clearly tell that one of the fighters is dominating the fight. And out of nowhere, the other fighter will just land a punch or a kick or something and just shut their fucking lights off out of nowhere. And that's what happened this weekend in Salt Lake City, Utah, UFC 278, the main fight, Kamara Usman versus Edwards. Uh, I believe this was their second fight. Not entirely sure about that. Um, but this fight was absolutely bonkers. Okay, five-round fight for the welterweight division. Usman came in as the champ. Um, and with my brief time watching UFC, I learned that Usman was that dude. Okay, when he fought Masvidal back in April, I bet on Masvidal. I fell victim to his antics pre-fight, all that shit talking he was doing. And I really did think that he was going to beat Usman. And if you guys don't remember, that's where Masvidal got sent into next week. And they got that still shot of him with all the sweat coming off his head, man. It's like his soul left his body. Usman rocked his shit. And after that fight, I was like, all right, I'm never fading Usman again. This guy's for real. And anyone he goes against is going to be in a lot of fucking trouble. So Edwards and Usman fighting here, five rounds. They make it all the way to the fifth round before the knockout happens. I think there was like 56 seconds left in the fight. And the thing about this, and this is why this is essentially why I love the UFC so much. I'm going to read you guys some numbers from the fight. These are basic numbers I got off the ESPN app, just to give you an idea. So when you're watching this fight, Usman is pretty much dominating this fight. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, we got a minute left in the last round. If this shit goes to the judge's table for decision, they're going to give this to Usman. So some stats here, total strikes, Usman versus Edwards. Usman, 189 total strikes landed versus Edwards, only 64. That's more than three times the amount of total strikes landed. So he's dealing three times the damage that Edwards did the entire fight. Usman had 83 significant strikes landed. Edwards only had 55. That's a better percentage. Edwards is closer. But again, we're almost doubling up on significant strikes there. Um, and that's not good if you're Edwards against Usman because that boy throws bricks. His hands are heavy. And... All it takes is one from either side. He hits you with one good one. See you later. Head strikes. Usman, 61 head strikes. Edwards, only 20 head strikes. So in essence, Usman is delivering three times the amount of CTE that Edwards was to Usman. So probably by the time Edwards kicked Usman in the side of the head, he was feeling a little foggy. Usman was probably better mentally. He was more there. Uh, so it's whack the way it ended. Body strikes, body strikes and leg strikes. Congratulations, Mr. Edwards. He had the advantage 17 for Usman, 22 for Edwards in the body strikes. And Usman only had five leg strikes where Edwards had 13. And we know the leg strikes can build up um, and that you can chop, a, chop an opponent down if you keep landing, especially those front leg kicks. If you keep landing those square, they're not gonna be able to put any pressure on that leg. So that was good that Edwards was able to do that. Um, control time goes right back into Usman's favor. 
10 minutes and 36 seconds of control time for Usman, only two minutes and 55 seconds for Edwards. And then we look at the last thing, takedowns. Usman had five takedowns. He was actually five for five on his takedown attempts, which you would think five for five on takedown attempts, five times the, the control time on a mat. He's going to win this fight, no problem, right? So all of those numbers, Usman's heavily favored in all of those. But it took one kick from Edwards in the last round with 56 seconds, just sent this boy packing, man. And UFC is something that I've come to learn where it doesn't matter how heavily favored that fighter is or how heavy an underdog that fighter is, as long as they're still up and fighting in that ring or in that cage, rather, because I know it's UFC and not boxing, whatever, they have a chance to win. All it takes is one punch. All it takes is one kick. And if you slip up for a second like Usman did, I'm pretty sure I'd, I don't have the, the video in front of me. But I believe Edwards was, I want to say he was southpaw. And he gave Usman a little jab fake. Usman ducked down, let his head hang. And Edwards came around with this left kick and just knocked him the fuck out. And that's all it takes. One slip up, you get sent packing. And your lights are shut out, son, and you're not the champ anymore. So that was absolutely electric. Um, I recommend everybody watch UFC. We're going to talk more about it um, when I bring my buddy on who, who is more of a UFC fan. He can give you guys more in-depth uh, perspective about it. But I just wanted to share the fact that UFC is quickly becoming one of my favorite sports to follow because it has so much excitement. It's so fast-paced and really, like, it's anybody's game inside that cage, man. Once you step in there, it's dog-eat-dog, and you really just you never know what's going to happen. It's super unpredictable. And that's why it's so exciting for fans. So that's going to do it for episode one. I want to thank you guys for listening. Um, I will get better at this in terms of, you know, my flow of speaking, uh, what topics I want to do and things like that. This is the first time I'm doing something like this. So I am a rookie, but we're only going to get better with more experience and more practice. Uh, some things you guys can look forward to. In the upcoming episodes, we got college football coming up in a couple of weeks. I'm going to look to do a preview of the college football season. Um, and then after that, we're going to be doing NFL. That comes up the week after that. And after that, we're just going to be rolling with the punches here. Whatever's going on with all these sports, we're going to be talking about it. We're going to be giving you guys our, our opinions, whether you agree with it or not. If it really doesn't matter to me, we're going to give it to you. And if you guys like the pod, definitely subscribe on YouTube. I don't even know if that's like, I got to set that up and make sure you guys are able to even do that. Follow us on Instagram. I'll put the handle in here. Talking balls pod on Instagram. Uh, we got a little yellow picture there. So, and tell your friends, share the page, share the podcast. Let me know what you think, what I could do better. What's good about it. Um, I'm open to all criticism and this is not a one man show. So you guys listening, your input is welcome. You guys want to come on the show, let me know. I'll arrange for it. I got a lot of people who say, oh, I want to come talk about this, talk about that. I'm down, okay? I'm fucking down. Let me know. We'll figure it out. And let's make this the best podcast ever. Let's take it to the fucking moon, baby. All right. See you next time. Gotta throw a party for my day ones. They ain't in the studio, but they'll lay some. Rest in peace to Drama King. We were straight stunned. Y'all don't like the way I talk.